Well, everyone has an opinion about marriage. And everyone has an opinion about dating. And everyone, and I mean everyone, has an opinion about sex. Even if you're afraid to say it. Right? Even if we don't talk about it, everyone's got an opinion. Have you ever wondered whose opinion are you supposed to listen to? I mean, this issue can make or break decades. Your career, your finances, your children. So whose opinion are you supposed to listen to? Whose opinion is the right opinion? Is Hollywood's opinion the right opinion? Do your parents have the right opinion? Your friends, teenagers, do your friends? Does Instagram or TikTok have the right opinion? Do the bathroom stalls have the right opinion? Do people still write stuff on the bathroom stalls in high schools? Is that still, does that still happen? I don't know, but that was where I was educated a little bit. Is your opinion the right opinion? And are you willing to bet all of that on an opinion? So the reason I tell you that and I ask those questions is because for the next three weeks in this series, I have no desire to share my opinion with you. What I want to share is the truth. The truth, because I, I didn't write it, okay? The Apostle Paul wrote what we're going to be talking about. And he wrote about these issues because they are universal issues that the church has been dealing with and struggling with for 2,000 years. People have always wondered, Christians have always wondered, how does our relationship with God impact our relationships with others and how especially does it impact this most important and most intimate relationship in dating and marriage? For a long time, uh, we have made sex a dirty word in church. For singles and teens, our message has been, just don't do it and don't ask why. For our message for married folks has been, we're not going to talk about it and we're not going to teach, teach you about it, but I hope it works out for you. And in the church, marriage after marriage is destroyed because of sexual dysfunction or extramarital affairs and we just stay silent. And I think, I think that we have stayed silent. I've just got a theory because we're afraid of blushing in church. So I just want to warn you to get over your blushing for the next three weeks. Because we, if, if we're going to talk about the truth and what the Apostle Paul actually wrote, like when you read what he wrote, you're like, whoa, why haven't we been talking about it? It's been in the book for 2,000 years. And we're going to look at these three passages that he wrote in letters to churches that deal with these issues. So let's just agree to get over our blushing because it's going to get real up in here, okay? If we're going to talk about this most important issue. The other thing I want you to know is that this is directly to Christians. What we're going to read is let, were letters that Paul wrote to churches. This is about 
how followers of Jesus are supposed to follow Jesus in dating, in marriage, in relationships. It's for Christians. When we talk about, sometimes at, at our church here at Mountaintop, we talk about uh, one of our marks of a follower of Jesus is to engage Scripture. And what that means more than just reading Scripture or just saying we believe in studying the Bible is that, no, we believe in taking the Scriptures that we study and engaging them in our lives. Uh, so we, we feel like we, we want to engage the Scripture and see how they impact us. Uh, and we've got to do that. So can I, can I just say that it's so important to do that, that if you're here and you're like, well, I just think this is too personal and I just think this, this is too improper to teach in church, here's just what I would want to say to you. If we don't teach the truth, then we'll all just form our own opinion. If we, if we and I mean we is the church, if we the church don't teach the truth, then whose opinion are we going to let our teenagers, our singles, our married people, whose opinion are we going to live by? This is about the truth. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, uh, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, but you've come to church because you came with a friend, you're interested, uh, in, in if you are, maybe you're watching online and you're just checking things out. Uh, I just want you to know that what we're going to read was written specifically to Christians. And I think that a lot of damage has been done in the world when it comes to sexual morality, when Christians have tried to push our standards on the world, have tried to push our moral code on the world. And it was never meant for people outside the faith, these words that Paul wrote. So, I, I mean, I've I just want to say this, if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can do whatever you want. You can sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, do whatever you want with whomever you want before marriage or after marriage. You can do whatever you want. But I don't think that's going to work out well for you. And maybe you've got the scars to prove it. Maybe you tried that. Maybe you'll have the time of your life. But it's possible you'll get hurt. It's possible you've already been hurt. And maybe you came today because you're looking for some truth, looking for some answers. So you're invited on the journey. And what I hope you'll see is I hope you'll see how followers of Jesus' relationship with God is supposed to impact our relationships with others. But I want you to know this. If you're not a, if, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know this. My heart and our heart is not that you would follow our rules first. It is that you would follow our Jesus. Because the rules won't make sense if you don't have the testimony we sing about, that you have experienced his grace and his mercy and his love. So that's what I hope you hear most importantly today. But if we have received that grace and mercy, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then this has to impact our lives. Paul thought this truth was an important thing to teach about. And today, I want to speak specifically to singles, to teenagers, to college students, okay? We're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in this very clear, clear explanation that Paul gives. Now, today, we're going to talk about some physical boundaries for singles and teens and, and all that. But tonight, we've got a singles event 
for college age and up that I would love to invite you to. Uh, if you're watching online and, and you're, you're welcome to come to this at five o'clock tonight in the atrium, a singles event, we're gonna have some food. If you got a Valentine's date, we'll be out by six and you can head out on your date. We're gonna talk about finding the right one and dating to prepare for marriage. So we're gonna kind of talk about all the, the struggles with dating tonight uh, and, and finding that right person. I would love to be that, but today, we're going to talk about what we do with what feels like this God-given desire. And Paul would know because Paul was single. So he knew what it meant to live with the struggles and the tension of, of dealing with these sexual temptations and these feelings. So what we're going to talk about is what every single and every teenager has a question of. How far is too far? And why does it matter? Or does it matter? How far is too far? And this is a question that every single person is thinking, every teenager is thinking about, and everyone's got an opinion on it. And so what is the truth about it? How far is too far? Can we hold hands? Can I put my hands other places? Can we make out? How much tongue can I use? Can I put my tongue anywhere? I told you, some of you are blushing now. And if you think that your teenagers don't have those questions, and if you think single people don't have those questions, then you just haven't talked to a teenager or single person about it. Because those are the questions that they're thinking. How far is too far? Where is the line? Where can I go? Can we have sex? You've thought about it. I promise you singles and teenagers and college students have thought about it. And guess what? The Corinthians had thought about it. They had questions about it. Corinth was a bustling Greek city. This is pretty amazing. In 400 BC, so 400 years before Jesus was born, they had a population of 90,000 people. Just think about that. 400 years before Jesus was born, Corinth was the size of Roswell, Georgia, Boca Raton, Florida, the Woodlands, Texas. All those cities have about 90,000 people. Now, that city, by the time Paul got to it, had been destroyed and rebuilt through wars and, uh, and different assaults, but it had still a very prominent city in Greek commerce. But Corinth had a reputation. It was mostly known for just wild living. It was full of pagan temples and bars and clubs. In fact, in the Greek language of that day, they invented a word to describe a, a way of living that was wild, and it was Corinthia Zestai. Corinthia Zestai, and that meant to live like a Corinthian, which basically meant wild living. So you go away on like a bachelor's party, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to Corinthia Zestai this weekend. Corinth was Vegas before Vegas was Vegas. Every time a Corinthian was, uh, was depicted in a Greek play, they were always depicted as a drunk because that's just what everybody was. But let me tell you what they were most known for. They were most known for being the home of the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love and passion. Aphrodite might even be on a Valentine's card somewhere in a store today. 
And by the time Paul got to Corinth, the temple probably looked a lot like this. This is what it looks like today. It was in ruins by the time Paul made it to Corinth to build and found uh, and start his church. However, the working priestesses of the temple were still growing strong. And the priestesses of the temple of, of Aphrodite were a thousand prostitutes who descended on the city every single night. I mean, you think we live in a sexually charged culture. They had a town devoted to a Greek goddess of love and passion with a thousand prostitutes that descended on the city every night. It was really easy to be promiscuous in Corinth. Sound familiar? Really easy. So listen to how Paul begins the conversation with the Corinthians talking about this issue. And he has, he has a long, in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do, we go to 1 Corinthians 7 because Paul specifically deals with married folks. In 1 Corinthians 6, he's dealing with people who are not married yet. And this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. This is obviously some issues that they've had and some questions that they've had. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in chapter 12, if you don't have a Bible, take one of our hard copies on the way out. Uh, if, if you're in the room and, and you don't have one, we'd love to give that to you. But you might just want to camp out on it, hold it open there in 1 Corinthians 6. I have the right to do anything. Now, you see that this is in quotation marks. Can you see that? It's in quotation marks. Paul is quoting a famous Corinthian slogan. So what he's saying is like, hey, everybody around your town says, I have the right to do anything, you say. And then, but Paul interjects, but not everything is beneficial. I mean, not, not everything is beneficial. Not, just because you have the right to do it doesn't mean it's good for you. And then he quotes it again. I have the right to do anything. He's basically saying, but you guys would say, but I have the right to do anything. I can do whatever I want. But I will not be mastered by anything. Yeah, you can do anything, but some things will master you if you keep doing them. You, you can become addicted to some things. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. So if we would say in our culture, I have the right to do anything. So for us, this might come out like, well, it's my body. It's a free country. I can do what I want. Who are you to tell me what to do with my body? Or the way we might say it is, None of your business, right? None of your business. Your body's not my, your body, my body's not your business. It's none of your business, Paul. It's not God's business. It's my body. I can do what I want to. And Paul says, well, I mean, of course you have the right to do anything. But you're smart enough to know that anything you do isn't always good for you. So yesterday morning, uh, Heavenly Donuts brought their truck to our neighborhood, their little van. And I hope they don't do this every Saturday. And so we, my wife went and bought a dozen Heavenly Donuts, and they were heavenly, a local favorite here in, in Birmingham. They were awesome. I ate two. I felt terrible afterwards because I'm getting old and I can't handle all that sugar anymore. And, and so you know that feeling? Like you, you know like donuts are okay every once in a while on a Saturday morning. And you could eat them every morning. You could stop by Krispy Kreme every morning. But you know that's probably not good for you. You're free to do it. But Paul says you're smart enough to know. And you're smart enough to know. Paul's saying surely you're smart enough to know that sure you can do anything. But, 
there are some things that you could become addicted to that could be harmful to you. So to throw that back onto sexuality, Paul would say, listen, surely you're smart enough to know that, yeah, you can do anything, but throwing your body around and sexually relationship after relationship, surely you know that's not good for you. And surely you know that you can become addicted to, to, to things in sexuality that can really put a stronghold on your life. Surely you're smart. Yeah, you say you can do anything. Of course you can. But you know some of this stuff can hurt you, Paul says. Well, then he quotes another saying in the Corinthian culture. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. You say, that's what he, he, he's saying. He said, our world might say it this way. Sex is just sex. It's just my body. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? I'm single. I'm young. I'm just having a good time. It's just sex. I mean, wh what's the big deal? And Paul says, Paul says, it's because you may have miscalculated the link between your body and your spirit. You may have miscalculated the bond between your body and your soul. This is the way I think Paul would say it. There is a difference in what you can do, what you are allowed to do, what you're free to do, and what you should do. There's a big difference. And what you should do now is different than what you could do before. What you should do in your relationships now and how, how you deal with sexuality should change because of your relationship with Jesus. Because what you should do should look different than what you can do. The world does whatever they want to, but not you, not you anymore. You, you belong to Jesus. Because you were wrong about your bodies, Paul would say. And let me explain why. The next verse, he goes, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Corey sang that in that song we did this morning, my testimony. I have resurrection power. Those are the words that we sang. Paul says your body has a bigger and a grander purpose. Your body will be raised from the dead one day. You are not just a person with a body. You are a person with a body made in God's image. And God will not destroy your body because you are in Christ. One day God will resurrect your body. So be careful with it, would you? That's what Paul's saying. You've miscalculated your body. Your body has infinite, eternal worth. You didn't just give your heart to Jesus. You gave your body to Jesus. And he wants to redeem, restore, renew, and remake all of you. Our behavior changes, Paul says, because of what Jesus has done to us and in us. Even your body belongs to Jesus. And this might be the question that Paul would ask the Corinthians and that I think he would ask us. Because remember, this is written to the church. This is written to Christians. If you trust God with your soul, will you trust him with your body? If you trust God with your soul, will you trust him with your body? Every one of us want 
to trust God with our soul. We want to go to heaven. We want him to forgive our soul when we die. But Paul says, will you trust him with your body while you live? Will you trust him with your body? Young teenager, Christian teenager, will you trust God with your soul? Will you trust him with your body? Single people, will you trust him with your body since you trusted him with your soul? Now, I know what some of you are thinking and asking. Why? Why, why, why does Jesus want control of my body? And what in the world does it even look like? Why? Well, here's what it looks like according to Paul. A few verses down, this is what he, this is what he says. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Is flee fast or slow? Fast. Run away as fast as you can, as far as you can get from it. Flee from it. Uh, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it's pretty fascinating. It's so massive, uh, massive. of course, they don't have like fences around it. It would be impossible to put a fence around it. They just have signs kind of posted every so often. And they say something like this. Warning, falls from cliffs on this trail have resulted in death. Stay off the trail, stay back from the cliff edges. Observe the warnings, posted warnings, and parents, watch your children. Now, if, and you go down there, and it's unbelievable how much you are allowed to go off these edges where it's hundreds and hundreds of feet down. When you see something like that, do you go up to the edge of the cliff and say, well, let me see just how close I can get um, before you die? No, I've been there. And I had, my, I had a four-year-old with me when I went. And man, I was holding on to him for dear life, dear life. Because I was watching my kids. Why would you, you get as far away from that edge as you can. You get as far away as you can. Paul is saying, I want you to flee. This is, people have died by falling off this cliff, Paul is saying. People have been hurt by falling off this cliff. People have been damaged by, you got to get as far away as you can. Flee from sexual immorality. Now this word for sexual immorality that it says up there is in the Greek, it's porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from. If you've got an old King James version, it just says fornication, but it means anything, any kind of sexual relationship, any kind of sexual activity outside the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. So, uh, the question. Paul's really answering the question here. How far is too far? Well, how close should you get to the edge of that cliff? I think I'd stay back as far as I could. Pornography is too far. Your eyes were made for your spouse. And when you give your eyes, you begin to give a part of your heart and you begin to give a part of your mind to someone else that God didn't design it for. It's too far. Now, let me say something. I've, we've, I've invited Greg Oliver here, who's, uh, who leads Awaken Ministries that helps people with a sexual addic addiction for this, during this series. And he's going to be near the Connect booth. And if you need to take a step forward or you need to get some information for somebody, I would love for you to just 
talk to Greg afterwards. He's going to be right out by the connect. And can we just all agree, everybody in the room, I know if you're watching online, you don't see this, but if you're in the room, that if someone's talking to Greg, that doesn't mean they've got a problem. Can we just all agree to that? They might be talking about somebody else. They might just want to catch up with him. But guess what? Newsflash, everyone in this room's got problems. So if someone's talking to Greg and they do have a problem, that's just their problem and you've got another problem. I think holding hands and a little kiss is probably about where you stay safe. <clears throat> but as I like to say, if you're in the backseat of the Chevrolet, it's already too late. I don't think you fleed. I think you can probably figure out that anything else is too far. It's too far. This is why living together before you're married is a problem. <clears throat> if you're a follower of Jesus. Um, it's not fleeing from temptation, it's moving in with it. It's moving in with it. So, I wanna just give some really practical kind of ideas. And I wanna say this, if you're living together, whether you're watching or you're here, and, and you're a Christian, I wanna say this. I'm not saying this to judge you. I'm saying this because I love you. And I used to have a mentor that used to say, I love you too much not to tell you this. And I love you too much not to tell you this. So I want to just give you some really practical solutions. Number one, one of you move out. Just one of you move out. And if you need to help finding a place to stay, this is my email. Carter.McInnis at mountaintopchurch.com. You email me. And uh, we will work with you to try to figure out a place for you to stay. I am also anticipating that I'm going to get some emails from some of you who own apartments, uh, rental houses that have a basement where someone could crash for a couple of months. That you're saying, hey, listen, <clears throat> if there is someone trying to take this step uh, of godliness and holiness in their marriage, we want to help. Because that's what it means to be a church family. That's what it means to be a part of a community of faith. That we help each other walk along in this journey. So I'm anticipating that some of you are going to email me and say, i got a place someone can crash if they need it. <clears throat> now, it, that's if you're not ready to get married and you're living together. If you're ready to get married, I want to introduce you to four guys, okay? They're going to be up here on the screen. That's me, Ben Cathy, our executive pastor, uh, Chris Connor, our student pastor, and Jake Davis, our me media and teaching pastor. And all four of us can marry you, and I've got some time tomorrow about 1 o'clock. <clears throat> like, get on our calendar. If you are living together and you are ready to be married, then get married. One of us four guys can help you out. We can arrange that. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's make the commitment. Let's make the commitment with our heart that your body has already made. Now, some of you are going, why does this matter? And again, I didn't write it, but listen to what Paul says. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul says, what you know is true and what I know is true, even if we don't want to admit it, that sexual sins feel different. 
All other sins, Paul says, they're just a little different than this one. All of them. They're just different because we're sinning against not just God, not just someone else, but against our own body. Something that we weren't designed for. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The question for followers of Jesus should never be, how far is too far, but how can I honor God with my body? It's a totally different question. Our bodies were bought with the blood of Jesus, and God's Spirit literally inhabits our hearts. Our bodies and our souls are linked together. And when you sin with your body, you can hurt your heart. And Paul is saying, that this, what God is telling us is, I just want you to trust me. You may think, you're, you may think I want to control you, but I want to protect you. Because singles... Teenagers, college students, would you just believe this truth? This is simple. That God's best for my body is what's best for my heart. And can I tell you something? I learned this the hard way. When I was a teenager, I felt like what I grew up with in church was just don't have sex. So I thought, that in my relationships, dating growing up, that if I just got close to that line but never crossed it, never fell off that cliff, that I would be okay. And I just want to tell you that that left a string of brokenness, a string of really confusion uh, for a teenage boy and a lot of messed up relationships, relationships that I felt like had to work out because I had written checks with my body that my heart couldn't cash. And I, I was just a mess relationally. And I went to college and I got in a Bible study with some guys whose relationships with their girlfriends looked very different than mine. One of them wasn't even going to kiss his girlfriend until they were on the wedding altar. And I was like, yeah, I crossed that bridge a while ago. That's not me. But I wanted to be like them. I saw something in those guys that I said, I want what they've got. And pretty soon in college, I started dating a, a, a girl who was a very deeply devoted Christian and I was growing and God was changing my heart and I was making some new decisions. And we just made a relationship, a, a decision to keep that relationship a holy and godly. And, and we just, we kept those boundaries in place and we fleed and it was, it was wonderful. And he, but here's the crazy thing about it. About five or six months into that relationship, we broke up. It was destined, it had no hope. It was a long-term relationship. Had no hope anyway. And I went home and I visited with one of my friends and it was right after the breakup and he said, how are you doing? And I was like, you know, crazy thing. I'm doing great. We kept our relationship holy and I didn't give away pieces of my heart with my body and I think God might know what he's talking about. God's best for my body is what's best for my heart. God doesn't want to control you. He wants to protect you. Men, 
Teenagers, college men, what would it look like for you to take leadership in this, in relationships? What would it look like for you very early in your dating relationships? Teenage boys, listen to me. College students, listen to me. Single guys, listen to me. Very early in your dating relationships to say, hey, after you decide you like each other, just, hey, I just want you to know that, that I am never going to cross a physical boundary with you. I am, I am never going to, to force a physical boundary to you or push you because I want to honor God with my body and I want to honor your body as a child of God, as a daughter of God, because we were bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus. And we want to keep, I want to keep this relationship holy. And if, and if we get married then we'll know standing at the altar that we love us for us, not for our bodies, and we'll trust our physical relationship to God after we're married. Do you know what she will say to you guys? Marry me is what she'll say to you. We're going to meet daddy next weekend. That's what she'll say to you. Because every relationship she has probably been in has been a guy trying to push the boundaries, trying to cross the boundaries, trying to get her to go to a place that she doesn't want to go. And if she ever met a man of God who would hold the line in the relationship, she would probably devote her life to him. So could there be some men of God in Birmingham that will hold the line? Men. In relationships right now that's crossing some boundaries, what would it look like for you to have a conversation like this afternoon that says, hey, it's time, it's time for us to make some new decisions and maybe that means getting married or maybe that means um, one of you moving out or maybe that means letting go of a relationship. Too often young Christian couples stay in relationships that are all wrong because they feel like they've got to make them work because they gave away a piece of their heart with their body. And I just want you to know that's a wrong decision that won't fix it. But there's something that will. So I know what happens when I teach a message like this is that there's a lot of people that say, I wish I'd have heard this five years ago. I wish I'd have known this. Carter, I've already made too many mistakes. <laughs> I'm damaged goods. Several years ago, I heard a story from Matt Chandler, who's pastor at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. And he told this story about how he had invited this, uh, this young single mom to church that his Bible study had been, uh, been working on, by trying to share their faith. And she was not a believer. She had made a lot of mistakes in relationships, had a couple children by a couple different men. Um, and she finally came to church and she got to church and uh, she's sitting next to her and the preacher gets up and says, tonight I'm gonna talk about sexual purity. And he thought, oh, oh no. And at the beginning of the message, he took a rose out and he said, I just want you to just, everybody to pass around this rose and I want you to smell it and touch it and just feel it. And then he proceeded. So he handed the rose to the front row and they passed it all around and people were just touching it and feeling it and smelling it and, you know, just trying to really get the, the essence of that rose. And then he went into this awful, awful uh, message that was judgmental that was harmful about sexuality, mean-spirited. And of course, you can imagine in a room of 250 people, by the time that he, it got back around and everybody had touched that rose, 
the leaves were coming off and breaking off and the petals were all broken and it just looked awful. And this was the crescendo of his marriage. He finally got the rose at the end that was all messed up and falling apart. And he holds it up to the congregation and he says, this is what happens to your body if you just give it away in sex before marriage. And who wants this? And Matt said that he wanted to stand up in front of the congregation and shout, Jesus wants the rose. That's the point. Jesus wants you. And if you heard this today and you said, oh man, I've made some mistakes and I am damaged goods, I want you to know something. We are all damaged goods, but Jesus wants you. And you can be forgiven and redeemed and cleansed and purified of your past. And I hope you will receive that grace, but I also hope that you will live into this truth that God's best for my body is what's best for my heart. And if you have trusted God with your soul, would you trust him with your body? I promise you, it's what's best for your heart. Heavenly Father, we're all broken. None of us are enough. And it's so easy for us, Lord. It's so easy for us to live our lives based on our opinion but our opinions are broken and we want to stand on the truth of God's word. I'm praying today for some teenagers, Lord, who are, who are hoping and wanting to take a stand in their lives for their faith because of what you have done for them. I'm praying for some college students right now, God, who are hearing this today and are, and God, you're calling their heart to take this, to take this leap of faith, to trust you. Lord, I'm praying for single people. I'm praying for some couples that are living together right now, God, and you're knocking on their heart. And this is gonna be a huge decision, but I pray, God, that you would lead them to make your decision. And I have no idea what that is, but you do. And that's just my prayer, God. Lord, just hear my heart. I don't want anyone in this room or listening online to make a single decision off my opinion but on your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.